0: The St. Charles County Veterans Museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. The museum would not exist without the donations of our generous community. Your donations ensure the museum continues to share and preserve the stories of our veterans. Would you like to be part of something special? To donate, visit sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate. The Dog Tag Podcast may at times cover sensitive topics including, but not limited to, suicide, abuse, violence, severe mental illness, sex, drugs, and alcohol addiction. You are advised to refrain from watching or listening to the Dog Tag Podcast if you are likely to be offended or adversely impacted by any of these topics. Neither the company, host, director, or guests shall at any time be liable for the content covered causing offense, distress, or other reaction. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. The primary purpose of the Dog Tag Podcast is to educate. The views, information, or opinions expressed on the Dog Tag Podcast are solely the views of the individuals or guests involved and by no means represent absolute facts. The Dog Tag does not accept responsibility for their views or comments. This podcast is sponsored by the Renee S. Real State Agency, located here in O'Fallon, Missouri. She is licensed in Missouri and Illinois and focuses on your personal and commercial insurance needs. Her office is located at 2764 Highway K, O'Fallon, Missouri 63368. She can be reached at 636-379-9556 or by email at reneeessary at allstate.com, R-E-N-E-E-E-S-S-A-R-Y at allstate.com. If you are shopping for insurance and want an active agent that will educate and advise you on the coverage you need, reach out to her. Welcome to the Dog Tag Podcast at the St. Charles County Veterans Museum with your host, Jason Galvin and Jim Higgins. Today in studio, we have Seamus K. O'Neill, Staff Sergeant Recruiter, U.S. Army, St. Louis, Missouri. Jim, go ahead and kick us off.
1: Welcome, Seamus, to the podcast. Uh, We're really tickled to have you here. Uh, My first question, we've heard recruiters are typically very well-traveled, highly accomplished and model soldiers can you tell us a little bit about you and how you got into the military and some of your deployments
2: yes certainly uh thank you guys for one for allowing me to come in here and talk with you and i appreciate the opportunity um so i joined back in uh, 2011 out of uh, spokane washington i just had an interest like a, we talked earlier as I had a big family that has a very large military presence, so it was always kind of in the back of my mind that it's something I wanted to do. Um, so when I joined, I, I joined as a medic. Uh, I deployed. I left for basic training in 2012 uh, to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. That was an interesting place. Uh, they got pretty much every every season in one day, and was definitely brutal sometimes, but. Once I completed that, I went to uh, San Antonio for my uh, advanced individual training, where uh, I was learned to be a, a medic, uh, and that was quite an amazing experience. Uh, met a lot of really amazing people. Um, from there, I went to Fort Riley, Kansas, where that was my first duty station. That's actually where I deployed out of to Afghanistan. Um, and then, once I completed that time there, I moved on to Fort Carson, Colorado. Um, I got put with an engineer unit there. They were a global response unit, so we were constantly training. Then I came out to recruiting and uh, kind of where it is now. So I don't know how I would say I'm well accomplished. Um, my wife says I'm really bad about owning up to accomplishments that I've done. Uh, I'm not a big person to have the spotlight on me. I prefer people that work with me to be the ones that get the spotlight to get recognized. So. I, I view my accomplishments in that that my soldiers have done in the past and what they've achieved. So I've had a couple of, few so, of my soldiers that have surpassed me in rank and uh, stuff like that and I think that is a major accomplishment to see that those individuals were very successful and I was able to mentor and guide them to become that. So that, that's how I view my accomplishments um, is how, how those soldiers I were worked with. Um, so I feel like as far as accomplishment and uh recruiting i think that's probably where you could say i was accomplished i guess um, i know how to take care of soldiers and mentor them to be successful and i think that's where it comes into play with recruiting is we're all mentors out here so i think that's kind of where i'm at with that so
1: well I, I think you're probably being a little modest you mentioned <laughs> that you are you're also a medic and and of course Everybody understands the devotion the medics have to their men, so that probably carried over into a little bit of every one of your roles throughout your time. I would say. Um, so you gave us a little background on where you were at. Uh, what does the role of recruiter look like today, and and how did you come to be a recruiter? Was and how are you enjoying it? So I
2: uh, think the role of a recruiter is more of a career, kind of a career counselor now. Um, It's definitely changed uh, since when I joined even. Um, Now it's really kind of how can we help these young future leaders be successful and have the knowledge to make smart decisions um, to affect their career and their future. And I think that's where recruiting has really changed is it's no more kind of going out and we're going to really get these kids to come join and get them for our contracts, and that's what matters. Uh, Now it's really just we want them to be successful. And I think that's where I see that recruiting has changed in a large way, Um, that people actually care about what people are deciding, and it's not necessarily choosing one branch over the other. Um, We want everyone to be happy, and if it's not with us, then it's not with us. But as long as that person makes a well-informed decision – then that's great for that person and I, I view that as a win um so I think that's where recruiting has changed in my view um then as far as what was the other part sorry
1: well it's it's um the, you know the how you know you did you have a choice in going into recruiting or was that something that you you were assigned or was something you had interest in
2: so I no, in uh, the Army, at least. At some point in your career, the Army is expecting you to either become a drill sergeant, recruiter, or a AIT instructor. So I knew at some point one of those was going to come, and uh, I decided to jump on it before I got told where I was going because if you volunteer, you get a little bit more say in what you're doing. Uh, so I put my packet in there to volunteer for recruiting. Uh, I got selected to go to medical recruiting first, so I did – medical recruiting for about two and a half years in Pittsburgh. And uh, that was a blast. I had an amazing team out there. Uh, I still talk to them very frequently, almost every day. We all talk. Uh, it was a great group of people. Um, met a lot of really fun people out there. Found out two of the like lead surgeons in that area I worked with when I was deployed uh, with them. So, like I said, it's a small world. Um, so that's kind of where I am at with it is – I, I volunteered to do it so that I wasn't told I'm going somewhere else. Uh, so I got a little say in where I went, and that that's kind of why I volunteered to do it.
1: But. I think there's an old saying, when when it came time to chick, pick your next uh, base or city or everything, you never put your favorite at the top. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they weren't going to give you that, you one. <laughs> that one. So you, you seem to have pulled that one off then. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah that saying's still around, yeah. <laughs>
0: So you mentioned that the, the kind of the role of the uh, recruiter now is is more of a career counselor. Can you kind of walk us through what um, the process looks like from kind of beginning to end when it comes to uh, the lens of the Army recruiter?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, so for the general person, the first step, of course, is going to be contacting one of the recruiters um, no matter what branch you, you're trying to go through. Uh, we're essentially the gatekeepers to the military uh, to do anything, you're going to have to contact us. But the first step will be actually sitting down with us and talking about what their career goals are, their life goals are, so we can have a better idea, um, how to uh, gear the military so they can see how it will fit their career path. Uh, so we try to open it up because there's so many opportunities. Uh, it can get overwhelming for some people. So we try to sit down and know, and get to know that person, for one, so we can kind of know what their interests are, and we could show them, like, this is kind of part of the military that we think is going to interest you the most and skip a lot of the other stuff that nobody's really going to care about. Um, so we sit down with them and really take that time to show how the military would look in the career path that they're trying to choose. And then once they decide if it's something they want to do, then we'll schedule them to go take the test. Um, you have to take a test. Every branch does. Um, for the Army, we require a minimum score of a 31. Um, each branch is a little different. But once they get that test, then we'll score them. Then they have the ability to see what kind of jobs they qualify for. Uh, then we will also schedule them for a physical. It's kind of like a in-depth sports physical. Um, most people are okay with it. Uh, some people have a little bit of a hard time because they're not used to it. Um, but anyone that's an athlete, which I would say majority of Service members are some form of athlete, whether they were in high school or just their personality. So you kind of are used to that type of physical, so it's not too much of a shock for most. Um, once you get done with that, then we can move to the part where they actually get to pick their job, um, and we'll show them these are the jobs that you qualify for with your score, um, and then they actually get to pick their job before they go up and actually sign the contract and enlist. So we try to make sure that they have all the information before they make that decision. And we also want them to take the time to actually think about their choice so that they are confident in what they chose. Um, So we try to tailor to them as far as the process. Uh, We don't want to drag it on forever because just like anything, if it takes too long, people are just going to lose interest or become bored. And we don't want that to happen um, because we want them to know why we love the army and we want them to love the army or whatever service they choose uh so we try to keep it very current and stay engaged with them throughout the whole process because it's a it's a big decision um, that they're making and some people don't realize like for me the other day I was just thinking about it I was like oh this is easy decision this is what I think that would work for you but then looking back on it I was like man When I think about when I was joining, I had no idea about all this and I was freaking out. So uh, it takes us a second. We got to step back sometimes and realize, you know, they don't know this information and where those people that are going to be the resource for them because they may be able to find it on the internet, but it's the experiences that our recruiters have that kind of bridge that gap of what they can read online versus what it's actually like. Um, So I think that's where meeting with the recruiter, sitting down, taking that time to know each other, really kind of seals what their view of the military is.
0: So I'm hearing you say, like, personal testimonials of what your experiences were overall and maybe more specific things that they can expect that they're not going to find on the Internet. Um, is that is that pretty accurate?
2: Yeah, I think that's a very accurate.
0: You know, and then Jim and I have, have kind of heard that uh, recruiting has been down you know, nationwide what does it kind of look like for uh, the Army specifically and then in St. Louis where you're recruiting, um, you know, what has kind of been the outcome recently for, for recruiting? Uh,
2: so, yeah, the uh, Army as a whole is down. I mean, we are the largest branch, so, of course, we're going to see the most impact from it. Um, St. Louis has historically been a very hard market period, uh, and it, it continues to be a hard market. Um, so it takes a very unique individual to come here and continue to try to do it um, and help these people because while we want to help them, it it can be stressful sometimes um, <clears throat> because while we are in the military, we still have a job to do. And I think any service member does not like the failure aspect of it, so recruiting it. It takes a very strong-willed individual, I believe, no matter what branch you're recruiting for. You have to have that willpower to be able to accept defeat and move forward and still be successful. Uh, And I think that's where the challenge is here in St. Louis, is being able to take that no and understand that just because they said no, the next person's not. Uh, And so being able to keep at it and finding those people that definitely do want to hear the information and are interested is just getting past all the weeds to find those people that is the challenging part for here.
1: So, so I'm thinking just for a moment, I mean, going over your personal history, <clears throat> the only variable there was what branch of the service you were going to join. You mentioned that all your family had been in the service. Mm-hmm. 1973, I think we went to the Lowell Volunteer Army, somewhere around in there. And so you kind of lose that connection with ancestors parents grandparents grandmothers aunts all serving so is it possible that we're just kind of getting to that point where you know when vietnam war the, the men that joined the women to join it was because their parents were in you know that was they felt like it was a thing to do and with the volunteer army of course i don't think there's this they're, they're given a thought anymore so that's got to play into the challenges you got to you're facing nowadays. It's you got to want it, right? And so, I guess I'm I'm wondering there. You know, if if the if we're losing, and the other part of that is retention, of course. You know, so we're trying to maintain a certain level of readiness. You know, with our armed forces, it's to us citizens. You know, you got to think that if we don't have the size army we want there, that that's a little scary, but you know so i mean so you you you're not involved in the retention process but it's a key component in keeping us up the to strength too so is there new strategies that come into play you know that they talk to you about new new techniques is there i mean do the commercials help things like that
2: yeah so we always uh, are talking with our higher command teams they're always coming down hey what what's it like for you guys on the ground what what do you need? What can we do to assist you? What kind of things will help you out? So they're constantly, there's a very free-flowing uh, information of trying to find out what's going to help us, what's going to help them. Um, but retention, the Army's actually, I think 2017 has continually been increasing. I think this last year we had a 106% uh, retention rate. Uh, so we have no problem keeping people in. Um, it's just the the getting the new fresh people to come in um, to experience it. Cause once you experience it, in my view, it's hard to leave because it's a brotherhood and you, you don't really get that anywhere else. Um, so retention is doing good. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've stayed still for 12 years. So I obviously whatever they're doing above me is working. So I hope just to get other people that experience.
1: So the, With the private sector struggling to fill jobs, do you think that that plays a part in not having recruits too? Because, I mean, the private sector is out there making a lot of promises, uh, bonuses. uh, You know, I mean, they're having to to be very aggressive at trying to bring people on and things. And and certainly some of the same people that are looking for a job are also considering the military, are they not?
2: Yeah, they are. And I think uh, historically, if you look at what most of those businesses are offering, they're actually trying to meet what we're doing already um, because we already have the student loan repayment. We already have uh, certification pay. So all those things that those businesses are now trying to lure people in with are things that the military already offers. So the way I view that is that they're all trying to keep up with us now. Um, It's just the, the generation that we're trying to recruit is definitely different than the time when i was recruited um, and when others are recruited uh, so it's it's gearing towards that generation is what is what the challenge is i think and everyone's sticking to what we know and not viewing it as what these new recruits and new generations are kind of looking for
0: you mentioned that uh your retention is is on par it's it's kind of getting the um you know the new the new people to sign on, sign up. With that being said, have you uh, in this area or uh, your district or however that's kind of ranked? Have you guys felt short-handed, uh, like you you know don't have enough uh, people to get the job done to meet whatever your quota is or meet whatever your mission is? Um, tell us about your experience with that. Either yes or no, or kind of dive into that a little bit if you can.
2: Okay, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, we're. We're shorthanded um, as far as personnel, but I think every duty station, every spot I've been, we've always been short personnel. We've never been full strength as far as that unit, um, and I don't, I don't think that's abnormal. I think that's pretty normal for the army, uh, and that's where you see where we succeed is because we're short handed. We're still, still meeting what's asked of us, still trying to get after it, and uh, coming over, overcoming those obstacles. Um, so personnel wise. I don't think it it, it factors into it Um, no matter how many people we have. I don't think that's going to change somebody's opinion if we have five people versus one person. Um, Sometimes less people is more appealing to people as well. So I don't think the manpower aspect of it is there. Then um, as far as assistance is like resources and benefits, Um, our higher command has done really well, the Army in general, and – providing us new ways to tailor towards the unique market we're in now um, to include our uh, program where we've tried to assist people to get those scores they need to come in. Uh, The Army has a pilot program that we've been running where we'll send them South Carolina and we'll allow them to essentially only learn those subjects that they need and to help them increase their score so that they can be successful Uh, because sometimes when you get out of school you just kind of lose that knowledge and they help you just brush it up again and then you'll retake the test and you'll get a good job based on your score so you could actually come out better than you were looking at originally Um, and then one of the other ones is we've noticed a lot of people are kind of having trouble meeting our weight requirements and that's another one that they're kind of looking at is sending people to help them out get them into our weight standards uh, then ship them out to basic training so they're always looking and adapting to what what they need, and listening to the people on the ground on what they see and are making programs to try to help that out. So they're constantly adapting and helping and listening to us.
0: Do they allow the – any? so, if, for example, if a guy passes the test, right, the general test, but the job, the MOS that he's looking to do requires maybe a higher score. I don't know if that's – if I'm, if I'm going in the right direction, but can they go to this brush-up school too to maybe increase their score or kind of where they test if they pass, that's kind of it.
2: So, so the one thing with us is once you test, if you get a passing score, that, that's kind of it. Um, so we try not to rush anybody into taking that. Uh, if they feel like they have a very specific job they want to do and we know that that job takes a certain score, we'll tell them, like, hey, this is what the score is that you need to get, and this is kind of where you're at now. Why don't you take, like, a week or two, study up, then we'll go take that test. We, we don't want to send them in to fail. So we're going to try to help them get the best they can before they go in. But once they get that score, if it's a passing score, um,
1: they usually have to keep that score. Okay. The um, the technical requirements, uh, I guess you get the the, the ASFAB testing. And I guess if I'm looking at it, in today's technology, I hear about different MOS that I don't think existed many years ago. And certainly, there there has to be an opportunity for the kids coming out of high school today to really learn something that wasn't in the army a number of years ago. Is, is there's new MOS that have been developed, and um, you know, I mean, electronics and different things like that. How has it changed the number of MOS out there?
2: Uh, I don't I don't think our MOSs have really changed that much. Um, they just kind of some of them have been renamed. Uh, and we will add and take some away constantly um, throughout the years. I know there have been a couple that have come and gone, um, so they're kind of always adjusting to what they see the market looking like. Um, right now, the big one is, of course, STEM. STEM stuff is really large right now and everywhere, uh, and even Intel. Our Intel fields are really popular. Um, but with those high schoolers that – Uh, are not sure on what they want to do one of the things that we have is the student ASVAB test um, and it's called the SASVAB and uh, they'll actually go in and they'll take the ASVAB in high school and then the army will actually come in and we can interpret the scores for them and it'll actually compare them and show them these are all the military careers that you can look at and fall into the scores you got and if you don't want to do it It'll show you the civilian ones, and it'll actually tell you the colleges that you should go to all the way down to how much that costs. Um, So we're trying to work with those high schoolers, not just show them what successful careers are um, or what hot commodity careers are coming up and um, with that program because it tells them, like, this is an up-and-coming career field, something you should look at. So we try to help them make those decisions and show them and you know what in a couple of years they expect these these career fields to be some of the top ones and we try to meet that with our jobs that we have open in the military
1: when i when i look at the cost of college nowadays which is just utterly ridiculous and then you got kids paying for it forever you know i would think that the the, the army would be a great alternative for the kids you know provided they can get into the mos that they want you know which sounds like you kind of make it fit, you know, or help them, guide them into that. So I would think that from that perspective, it would be a really good fit for the kids coming in here. And and can't they not get college credits, work on their college degree while they're in the Army too?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and that's one of the things that a lot of people think. It's either either or. You're either going to school or you're going to the military, and it's not at all what it is. Uh, it's very simultaneously. Uh, most of the people that I work with uh, are working on their gr- degrees or have already completed them. Uh, I know a couple months ago I just completed my bachelor's, so and I didn't pay a dime for it. And I have a buddy that didn't go into the military, and he's quite well in debt with it. So it's, it's a lot of uh, people hear one thing, but they don't know the truth, and the military is definitely not uh, this or that. Um, they very much encourage you to do your education while you're serving. And uh, they actually encourage it. So we have the certification pay um, and the TA, the tuition assistance. So they they really focus on not just your professional development, on your personal development when it comes to your education because they want you to be successful when your time is done.
0: And I love that because, you know, I can just think back to when I was – an 18 year old young man. And I didn't know what, what I really wanted to do. And so college at that point for me was a waste of money. I mean, just, you know, so, you know, if a guy gets into the military or a gal and, uh, they get, they get their career going and like yourself, you just finished your bachelor's and you've been in the military for a while. Uh, but now you're prepared for, you know, your future career in the military and then post career, which is amazing. I love that. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, People are, you know, kind of have the thought of how does a job get picked. Ultimately, you know, they have the list of jobs or MOSs that they can go into based on their scores. But do they get the ultimate decision on that, or are they sometimes kind of uh, placed in a in a position? Kind of let us know how that works.
2: So they get the ultimate decision, um, but as far as what is available, that factors into training schedules and such, um, because we can't put somebody into a job. When they don't train, the when they're training, when it happened for like another eight months. So it's based on what the training schedules are for those MOSs, um, and how many people are in that MOS, how many people are expected to leave that MOS. So there's a lot more information that comes from way higher than us when it comes into what is available. But whatever is available at that time to them, they get the ultimate say of if that's what they want to do or not.
0: And do they is the military or the army specifically? Are are you guys offering any specific bonuses for people to uh, be recruited into the army, or what is the incentive other than you know being able to have your your insurance or your your uh, education paid for? Is there any monetary incentive right now for people to be recruited?
2: Yeah, so we have a uh, fifty thousand dollars that we are offering people um, if they score a certain amount. Uh, and then if they choose a certain job, there could be bonuses assigned to those certain jobs. Uh, then they even get to sometimes choose a duty station that we've recently changed that to where they can choose where they want to go for their first duty station. So th- there's a lot of incentives aside from the education part, benefits as far as uh, health care. They're really trying to make the decision of the new soldier as much their decision on everything. So to where they want to be, how long they want to be there, all that stuff. So they're really adapting as far as the process when they join.
1: So one of the things we hear, you touched on it briefly. One of the things we hear, though, is the CDC says 70% of Americans are unfit, you know, to join the military right now. And that's got to be a challenge. Um, You know, years ago, we talked about it before we went on air you know, we joined the service, my generation, and, and they got us fit. But now you're expected to show up a little more fit. Uh, can you kind of talk about that? And, and it's certainly got to be a challenge when when you're looking for a little bit more fit, you know, recruit coming in the door.
2: Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, it has been a challenge. Uh, I know that in the past it used to be certain MOSs you were allowed to come in a certain percentage over. Uh, and it was only for those specific MOSs, and they've actually broadened that to pretty much all of them now to where you can be a certain percentage over. Then they even added that other program that they're trying out to see how that works. And if it's successful, they'll probably put it implemented in, but uh, they're still kind of seeing how that that process is working out.
1: The other thing that, you know, what we find is, you know, it's been in the news lately a little bit about you know, we talked about retention, and I know you're not directly responsible for the retention, but obviously you chose to stay in the military. But the uh, the number of people that are raising family, you're providing a lot of benefits, a lot of career opportunities for people, and it's become very much like a good job they have, and they can get college degrees and maybe even beyond the uh, the bachelors. So they're deciding to stay in, but they also want to raise a family In the news lately, we've heard a little bit about, you know, some of the branches have not been as flexible to working with the family on child care and different things like that. Is that changing in the Army?
2: Yeah, I think uh, it's not necessarily a command policy that's changing. Uh, But, I mean, my time in, my first-line supervisors knew that, you know, your family determined on how – strong you were and how mentally agile you were. Um, Because if your family's struggling at home, you're not going to be able to focus on what you need to do. So I think the Army has come around since I've been in and really realized that your family strength really depends on your performance. Um, So if they're expecting you to perform as a high level, then they need to assist your families. And they've really come to focus to make sure that you're able to get that time to take care of your family. So they allow you to assist. They allow you to go to graduations. They allow you to be there with your family when they can. So I think they're really trying to make that family possibility because a lot of people used to say that um, if they wanted you to have a family, they'd issue you one. <laughs> so <laughs> they uh, have really yep. changed their, their lifestyle. And I, I think it's for the best, and I think it's continuing to change, uh, and I'm I'm excited to see how it changes over the next couple of years.
1: We uh, I've read recently that uh, in our modern military, the 20% is are women, and uh, there's more and more women in there in the uh, service now. Do you think the army does that reflect what the army is, and it does it reflect like the recruits that you're seeing that you're talking to? Is it more women nowadays?
2: Yeah, I would say a majority is uh, the female population. Um, I mean, as a medic, mine's a little skewed because I worked with a lot of female, uh, female medics, and we were always about 50-50, uh, and they were some of the best medics that I've ever worked with. But uh, I think that the, the population of women in the military has been increasing, and I think it's going to continue to increase um, over these next couple of years.
0: And just mentioning, you know, kind of the diversity of, of the recruit, you know, in the past, what kind of from from the lens that I'm seeing is, is you had a lot of uh, children following in the footsteps of family members, kind of like what you did. You had some family members that were in the military. What is the profile kind of of the, of the recruit these days? Is it somebody that's following in the footsteps of their of their loved ones or their family members, or is it maybe the, the guy that's just looking uh, to do something different or do something exciting?
2: I think it's uh, more of just somebody looking to do something different and more exciting. Surprisingly, not too many people are coming in that they've had the same experience like me where I have a long family history of people in the military. Uh, You're seeing more and more now of people that are just the first one in their family to do it. Um, Or they had like a a grandpa or someone quite a ways down the road that had done it at one point. But uh, you see a lot of people that don't have that, family history of being in the military that have been coming in lately. So I think it's interesting to see how things have kind of changed.
0: Definitely. Now, are you guys in St. Louis or maybe the army, maybe in general using ROTC like high school ROTC is kind of like a, a ground where you're able to cultivate some recruits or is this still important? Like it once was kind of describe that to us.
2: So, uh, my area, we only have a couple JROTC units. Um, they're good for the schools. I think uh, we don't usually use them to recruit. We'll use them. we we'll just go in there and allow us to talk to them. So we use it as an avenue of just spreading the knowledge out and using them to pass the information to others because they're their peers. They're going to be more accepted of hearing the information than it is from us. Um, so we use them to reach other people and let them know the information. Uh, but, yeah, I think... JROT is important because uh, you find those individuals that kind of are trying to find those characteristics that most time are in the military.
0: Jim?
1: Well, so joining the military is obviously a big decision, so you kind of touched on it earlier, but you're, you kind of don't consider yourself a salesperson, obviously. You consider yourself as a counselor more. But, you know, um, for somebody that's considering the military – How can a recruiter help them, you know, just give them an overview? And do you have a lot of people that come to you shopping around trying to figure out what branch is best for them?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, We get a lot of people that come in, and we, we really expect them to go to the other branches. We don't want them to only talk to us because later down the road, if they find something out that they don't feel like we kept with or gave them the information, then it's ultimately hurting our branch, the Army. Uh, and we don't want that. We want them to be confident in their decisions. So we, we tell them, you know what, go talk to the other branches. Um, and I actually have the contacts for the other recruiters and I'll give it to them and I'll be like, here, here is the Navy recruiters information. Here's the air force recruiter. And we encourage them to go talk to it because for the most part, most of our benefits are all the same across all the branches. Um, I tell people all the time it's it's really what you're trying to get out of the service that matters Um, because you can hear my benefits from the Army and it's going to be the same as everyone else's. But my experience in the Army compared to somebody's experience in the Air Force is going to be different. And I think that's what is more tailoring towards the individual is what the branch has as far as leadership or personal development compared to the other branches. And I think that's what they really need to look at not necessarily the benefits but what is the branch as a whole like what do people come out of there with more than the other and I think for the army it's the leadership skills and the leadership development compared to the others
1: so the um, so you know the process you know it's it, I, I and I used to be in sales my whole life and you had you had to, to one-step close into two-step close. So from start to finish, your first time you meet with somebody, obviously they probably go home and they want to think about it. Well, how long of time do they usually take and how long is that process for somebody that's considering joining? How long of a time span do you see that happen over?
2: Uh, I mean, there's a lot of factors that play into it. Usually we try to encourage them to bring those people with them. Um, if it's apparent that they are used as their information source, we want them to bring them because we want those people to ask us the questions that that person might have forgot. Um, So we try to tell them, hey, do you have somebody that you really trust their their decisions? And if you do, bring them with us or bring them with you to talk to me so that we can talk to them at the same time and answer any questions because they're going to be a lot harder on the questions than that person's going to be because sometimes it's intimidating talking to us. And so we want that person that doesn't really care what they say to us to be there so that they can ask the questions that that person might be scared to ask. Uh, so we encourage them to do that. Uh, and I think that's kind of, as far as the process, um, we'll kind of delay it or expedite it. If, if we can get that up front, then we know exactly like how how motivated they are to do this or if there's certain things that are going to delay it. Um, and then, of course, when it comes to the medical process with the physical, that's stuff that could delay it, um, the testing. There's a whole bunch of things that could delay the process, but if everything goes smooth, they could do it all in about 48 hours. So, But that's like a, a golden goose. <laughs> so there's always someone's always going to have something, so that's why we try to meet with them and identify those things early so we can get ahead of it uh, and let them know what exactly they're going to need to do to make it smoother for everyone.
1: I, uh, I raised three girls and one boy and, and, and the girls were a blessing. Absolutely (laughs) a a blessing because they, two of them knew exactly the moment they started high school, what their career path was, what they were going to be. And the other two had no clue. and, (laughs) And very much like me at age 60 or so, they still haven't figured it out. Right. So how, you know, do, what is the average age of somebody that walks in the door and starts to inquire about that and, And do many of them have a clear idea what direction they want to go?
2: Uh, I think majority of the population is probably in their 20s now uh, because straight out of high school they have it in their mind that they're going to go to school and that's what they're doing. Um, So it's usually once they've done one or two years of school then they come back and they're like, you know, I wish I would have looked at this earlier. Uh, So about, I would say their 20s is what we're getting in and we're seeing a lot of. Um, But as far as... Uh, looking back, I mean, it's, it's really kind of dependent on the season too, honestly. Uh, cause summertime we could get a lot of younger kids during school, near the end of the school year, we could get a lot of seniors. So it, it, I mean, the season depends on who's coming in, but for the overall process, it's usually about 20 years old is what we're seeing. Um, and I feel like that's just cause of the maturity level at that point. Is kind of what is factoring into those decisions, but
1: they've had a little time out of high school and have been able to digest. Hey, I got to do something sooner yeah, or later. A little life experiences, yeah, yeah. Well, the uh, you know, I mean, it's the other part of that is, I guess, uh, do do any of the kids come in there and saying, I don't want to go overseas, or do they say, I do want to see the world? Any do you hear that very often?
2: Oh, that's almost a question we get every time. Is is well I deploy and. I always tell them, like, yeah, there's a chance you'll deploy. I can never say no. Um, But what they don't realize is deployments can be combat or humanitarian. So uh, we tell them, like, it it might be a combat deployment, but it might be a humanitarian deployment. I mean, during COVID, we deployed people to the United States to set up those treatment facilities to assist those states. Um, And I told them, that counts as a deployment. You were activated and sent somewhere that's not your hometown. So a deployment is a very what they think a definitive combat deployment is what they view it as, but they don't see all the other stuff. So we try to help them realize that there's different things that factor into that. So, and usually it depends what's going on in the environment and everything like that. So we, we tell them, of course we can never say never, but we tell them the statistics at the time of what it is.
0: All right, Seamus. So, We've talked a lot about uh, the different types of people coming in for recruits and and benefits and things like that. A lot of the things that we're were hearing now in the corporate world and in in the non-military world is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Can you speak a little bit about what the Army might be doing in relation to what recruits are looking for uh, in diversity, equity, inclusion and how that impacts the recruiting part of it?
2: Yeah, um, I mean – for the, as far as the military, we are definitely, I think, one of the most diverse organizations out there. Uh, people don't realize how, how diverse we are, and I think that's one of the things that makes us so successful is we are so diverse, so we have so many different cultures and backgrounds, um, religions, and everything that factor into it. So you don't get one idea, you get an abundance of them from all different walks of life. And I think that's what really sets us apart from most of those places because we make sure that we are as diverse as possible um, when it comes to our force. And I think that's what makes us super successful uh, is making sure that we maintain that diversity and equality across the board. Uh, And I I think you can't beat that. You can't find that really anywhere else that I've seen when I've been on recruiting. Uh, And it became very apparent when I came out on recruiting uh, how diverse the military is compared to the civilian population.
1: Well, Seamus, it's, um, you mentioned that you're in the St. Louis market. How would somebody get a hold of you if they wanted to talk to you?
2: Uh, so they would just either text me or call me. Uh, my number is uh, 314-324-1701. And
1: I, and I guess the last question I had is uh, many of our veterans come in here and you they, they tell us their reasons for joining was uh, a recruiter came in to their high school, and we were talking before we went on the air, and it just doesn't seem like the recruiters are going into the schools like they did pre-COVID, and I don't know whether that's ever going to come back, but that certainly has to be a real benefit.
2: Yeah, I think it's changed. COVID had a big factor on everything, um, and we're slowly coming back from it. Um, The schools are starting to open back up. They're starting to let recruiters back in a little bit, not nearly like it used to be. Um, but with the new digital age coming up, it, there's also different avenues for us to utilize. Uh, we use a lot of, uh, virtual meetings and stuff like that during COVID. So we've become pretty proficient at using that stuff as well. So there's, there's always different avenues to approach, but, um, we're starting to move out of that time, hopefully.
0: Yeah. And I have one more question that kind of came, came to my head. It was as far as the young people, you know, a lot of kids coming out of high school or go to college days or. They go to they visit the schools to see which school they want to go to. Is there any mechanism where they can go and and kind of see high level what an operation might look like? Not not a top secret operation, of course, but maybe the day to day the way the world works in the military. Are they able to do that? Is is it kind of you know they have to get there when they get there and figure that <laughs> out? Or
2: no, so we'll we'll do what we can. Um, we'll work with a lot of the reserve units in the area. And we'll get some people if they want to, and we'll take them there and let them see, like, this is how their job works, and this is what they do day to day. Um, And, of course, we have Fort Leonard Wood not too far away, uh, and sometimes we'll set up visits where they'll take students down there. They'll take staff or faculty so they can see kind of what the day-to-day life is for a soldier on an installation. So they're constantly, the Army's constantly doing stuff to get the information out there and let them see firsthand what it's like. Um, and I know when I did medical recruiting, we would send those, uh, doctors and the staff to some of our big treatment facilities and let them see like firsthand, this is what the military medical facilities are like. And that's very successful for us. Um, so we, we try to do that as much as we can. It's just finding individuals interested to go do that is where the challenge is.
0: Well, we really appreciate you being in the studio with us. Is there anything else before we uh, sign off tonight?
2: Uh, I think I would just like to say is just don't be afraid to ask the recruiter a question or anyone. Uh, Don't be afraid to approach it and be confident in your decisions and just let them know what you want. Uh, But ultimately is just having that courage to just bring the question up is usually what the problem is.
1: (laughs) So so you won't run and lock the door behind them? keep them in that office until they sign you're saying
2: right they they don't come up and there's not a truck in the back that we just throw them
1: straight into, so. so again would you give us your number one more time um, if they want to get a hold of you Seamus
2: certainly it's uh 314-324-1701
0: awesome we loved having you in studio Sergeant Neal we really appreciate your time and everything you've done for this country and for the young people that are coming into the military. So we're going to go ahead and sign off from the Dog Tag Podcast at the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. The Dog Tag is brought to you by the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. The museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. Do you like our podcast? With your support, we'll continue to bring you great programming. If you'd like to donate, go to sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate.